was a pretty great date, but I think I talked too much. I bet he doesn't ask me out again. He seemed really nice and fun. I'm so glad he called me. God, I'm up for whatever you have for me. I don't even know why I'm interviewing for this job. Everyone else here looks like they have it all together. I'm sure I won't get it. I can't wait to interview today. I really believe I have a lot to offer. Even if I don't get this one, I know God has a plan. What am I doing here? I don't have anything interesting to say. I just want to go home and get in my sweats. I'm really looking forward to making some new friends. Even though this is out of my comfort zone, I'm trusting God will bring something awesome out of this party. Succeeding at the big things has a lot to do with the little things. Thoughts matter. Small things, big difference. couple of quick announcements. Next Sunday morning, um, Pastor Sampson and Fritz will be here. Pastor Sampson is the pastor of the MEBSH. He is the vice president of the MEBSH, which is the Missionary Evangelist, MEB, Missionary Evangelical Baptist of Southern Haiti. Had to get it all in order. Um, and, and his church, today they've already had two services by now. The first service starts at 6 a.m. We've, we've attended that one. And it'll have about 3,000 people will be standing room only. In fact, there's some people that'll be standing out in the streets. And they have some speakers out on the outside that will project the, the sound out there. And then if you come to the late service, the late service is the 9 a.m. service. There's only a few hundred there. So that's the, that's the, the, uh, JV, I guess, is the second service, um, there. It's just kind of opposite of what we do. In Haiti, they, um, uh, Everything is, it moves earlier. And so you, you're up about five o'clock every morning, whether you want to be or not. It's just the way it happens. It is so loud there and, and they get up and they get moving and they try to get a lot stuff, a lot of stuff done before it gets really hot. But next Sunday, I need to tell you this because we're actually going to start about 10 minutes ahead of time. If you want four full songs next week in your worship time, then you need to be here about 10 till 11 because we're starting at 10 till 11. Some of you are going to be out there talking. You're going to think, Oh no, I'm late. And we're going to do two songs before 11. We're going to do two songs after. We want to give Pastor Samson about 50 minutes worth of teaching, and I'm going to tell you, he is an excellent teacher. This guy gets up about 4.30 every morning, and he has he teaches on the radio, so they've got this live broadcast, uh, they have a radio station there that broadcasts all over Haiti. Uh, when I was there last summer, I got the, when I was preaching there for a week, then uh, that was broadcast all over Haiti, and it was kind of kind of a cool deal um, to, to realize that, that those messages were going all over the country. Uh, and then... Um, but we want to give him a lot of time to teach, and it is excellent. And uh, Fritz will be here. Fritz is the only person on the planet who has a Haitian, Jamaican, South Florida accent. He was born in Haiti. He pastored in, in uh, Jamaica for 20 years, and now he lives in Fort Lauderdale. And so it's, it's a crazy uh, accent, but it's, they're, they're men of God, and, and we're excited that they're going to get to be here with us. So we'll start a few minutes early. If you come at 11, that's fine. We'll still let you in. And then Sunday night next week, we have regular small groups tonight, so child care will be here uh, tonight. Next Sunday, we'll still have some child care going on, but we're going to have a barbecue here in honor of Pastor Samson. It's kind of a tradition. Uh, the first year he came, I cooked for him at my house and, and he was just kind of surprised at that. And so he went back and told his church and everybody, everywhere I'm with him, he tells them, I am the king of barbecue. And, and that actually translates. And so he'll be speaking Creole and then he'll go, king of barbecue. And 
uh, everywhere he introduces me. That's what that's what he tells people. So we ha- it's a tradition. So we're going to have a barbecue here at the church. Everybody's welcome, whether you've come to small groups or not. We're going to um, have a, a good time of fellowship. And then I want him to kind of tell you what's going on because Pastor Sampson has this humongous vision for Haiti. And part of his vision is he wants his people to be able to get affordable um, <laughs> health care. Sorry, that is just doesn't even sound right at this time in our country. Um, but what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to build health clinics. And really the biggest thing in Haiti, his, his daughter died um, last year. And part of the reason she died, she was 20-something years old. I don't even remember. 22. And, and she was in the hospital for six weeks. They didn't even know what was wrong with her. And part of what they figured out later was, had they gotten the right medicine, she might have been with us. But what's interesting is she had written in her diary that she knew she was going to die that year. Kind of crazy. And, and she was telling her parents, it's going to be okay. Carry on. I'm going to see Jesus. You know. Anyway, great story. But he has this dream of putting health clinics where you can get medicine and see a doctor all over. He wants 600,000 Haitians who don't have any access to a doctor or medicine. He wants them to get that. And so I want you to be able to hear his dream and his vision for Haiti. He's the one that tells um, all of our groups that are going to Praying Pelican that, that go to um, his church in Mary uh, in Cote Plage. He tells everybody where um, Care For is actually the city. He tells us where we're going to go. And so he's the one that hooked us up with uh, Pastor Valco in uh, Mariani. And then when when we finish Pastor Valco's church, we're going to go to another place wherever Pastor Samson tells us there's a need. We're going to go to the, uh, there in the country. So anyway, that's what's going on next week. Needed you to know that. All right. Last week, we started our series called Small Things, Big Difference. And um, we said that it's very, very easy for us to compare our lives to someone else. It's, it's easy to look at someone else's job or their car or their marriage or, or their walk with Christ and say, they have it better than I do. And then to, to look at our own lives and go, I could never have what they have. But we said that, that we came to this realization that it's really small things that lead to big things. And, and rarely does anyone start out with big things. Even people who win the lottery... Did you know that the vast majority of people who win the lottery are broke within five years? You want to know why? They don't know how to handle a little bit of money. And so when they get a big amount of money, they don't know how to handle that either. If you can't handle small things, you can't handle big things. So here is our overarching theme for this whole series. It is the small things that no one sees that lead to result in the big things that everybody wants. Now, one of the things I challenge you to do at the end of the service, I ask you all to pray and to seek God for one word that would carry you through this whole year. I told you my word is expectation and my verse is Psalm 5.3. You're going to have one word, one verse, and you're going to pray for that. And so I need to know how many of you prayed for and, and found that one word from God. Let me see your hands. Four people. Okay, you can even say I prayed for it. You hadn't received it yet. Okay, about 12 people. All right, all right. Now, the rest of you, I have your word. The Lord has revealed to me your word so you can write this down and it will just guide you the rest of the year. Your word is procrastination. (laughs) This is of God. I'm going to tell you this is of God because I want to show you. I want to show you your verse. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Right? All right, I'm going to cut you some slack. Some of you weren't here. Some of you were here, but you weren't here, right? You know what I'm talking about? So, but I'm serious about this because if you'll seek God for something that will focus your life, at the end of 2014, you'll find out that you're a different place spiritually 
than you were at the beginning. And that's what we want to do. We want you to move closer to Christ over this year. And you're going to have to have something that kind of, kind of represents your true north, your, your compass that will lead you back to God over and over and over again. And so when you think about this one thought, it will lead you to different types of words. You'll speak different words. When you speak different words, you'll have different actions. When you have different actions, you'll, you'll develop different habits. And when you have different habits, then you'll have a different destiny than what you've had. Cause, cause our, you know, I've said this before. If you want what you've always had, by all means, keep doing what you've always been doing. If you're not where you want to be with Christ, stop doing what you were doing and try something new. And that's what this series is all about. Now today we're going to focus on your thoughts. And this is where it all begins. If we can get this domino, your thoughts, your dominant thoughts, if we can get it to fall, all the others will fall into place. And here's our theme verse for today. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And, and ladies, just so you know that we're, we're not leaving you out, as she thinks in her heart, so is she, alright? So what this means is your dominant thought is what you're going to move towards. Now, I cannot... I, I so wanted to do this and I couldn't do it. I can't get out of Proverbs 23 without showing you my favorite verse. It was Caleb's life verse when he was young. And here it is. Do not withhold correction from a child for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. <laughs> I used to tell him that all the time. This, and I used to, it, from the moment he was born, I said, this is Caleb's life verse. And I'm going to swat that boy in the name of Jesus. Because <laughs> scripture says he won't die. So, okay, that was free. You know, you don't even have to given the basket back there to get that one. Um, I just couldn't leave Proverbs 23 without telling you that. Proverbs 23, 7 says that whatever you think about most is who you are going to become. And it can be tricky for us to figure out what is in somebody else's heart because what do people do? I talked about it in my prayer earlier. People pretend. How are you doing? Oh, I'm great. And we put on masks, right? We don't know what's in somebody's heart. But let me tell you how you can have a clue. Listen to what they say when they're under stress. In, in Celebrate Recovery, we talk about when you're most vulnerable is when you're hurt, angry, lonely, or tired. Listen to what someone, what comes out of their mouth when they're hurt, angry, lonely, or tired, and it'll tell you what their dominant thoughts are. When I first started driving, it was in the metropolis of Borger, Texas. I was just looking at some stuff. I was going to show you some pictures, but really, there's nothing to see. Um, nothing to see. There's a sign that says, Welcome to Borger, and I thought, you know, at, at least I'll spell it for you. B-O-R-G-E-R, because a lot of people think I'm saying border. We're not on the border of anything. Borger is on the way to nowhere. So, like, if you go to Amarillo, if you're going skiing, you'll get within 45 miles of Borger, but if you've been through Borger, you either took a wrong turn or, you you know, you got lost, because you, you have to be meaning to go to Borger to get there. Anyway, so I was learning how to drive. It's a town about 14,000, a little bit smaller than, than uh, Palestine. And uh, one day I was driving mom's car. I was 15 years old. And Main Street is where everybody went. And so I wanted to drive mama's car down Main Street. And Main Street's weird because I was looking on Google Maps. I was going to show you this, but it wouldn't let me copy. Uh, Main Street is straight, but for some weird reason in Borger, for two blocks, the main drag that we used to go down every Friday and Saturday night, it would it would swerve. So the road goes like this, but it would curve out over here so that on this side you could have angled parking. All right, makes sense? No parking on this side because you drive on this side, angled parking over here. Then the next block, it would be just the opposite. You drive on this side, angled parking over here. So I'm driving along. I'm hoping my friends are going to see me because mom's car is so much better than mine. I, I had a piece. I drove a Toyota Corona before the Corolla. It's the one that somebody put the the, uh, the transmission in that didn't fit. And so the gear shift hit my knee and, and, and you can see the ground. My brother actually bought the car from my dad. I don't know why because he was driving it to work one time and the transmission fell out. 
But because there was a hole in the floor, he was able to pick it up and get the gears to match just enough that he could go five miles per hour home. He had a highway patrolman pull up beside him and ask him if he's okay. And he goes, I'm great. I can't take my hand off the transmission though or it will fall out. You know, so anyway, you get a little picture of what I'm talking about. So I'm driving mom's car and I'm thinking I'm hot stuff. Got my elbow out the window, you know. And all of a sudden, some little old lady backs out. I mean, she's flying. She didn't look. And I said, blankety blank blank is she doing? And then there was dead silence in the car. And I thought, I'm going to die. I'm meeting Jesus right now. And I don't look. But you know, you know when moms have that stare that can cut through steel? Mom's looking at me and she goes, is that how we talk around our friends? And I went, you know, I could not talk. I was stuttering because mom knew. Mom knew that as a person thinks in their heart, so is he from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mom knew. And, and the reality was I wasn't leading my friends towards God. They weren't leading me towards God. And here's why this is so important. Because you will always, your life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. This is what we got to come back to over and over today. My prayer is that by the time of our, that by the time we finish today, that you'll understand what a big deal your thought life is. For example, if you think you can't, you probably won't. If you think your life is going to be bad, guess what? It's probably going to be bad. If you think you have nothing to offer in life, your, your life is going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy and you're probably never going to do anything that will contribute in any meaningful way to society because it all starts here. Thoughts become actions. But if you think you can, you probably will. The Olympians, do you think they thought they could do something? The men's hockey did and they got destroyed, but, but they made it to the Olympics. So that's better than me, so I can't make too much fun of them. If you believe there are opportunities out there, you're probably going to see opportunities instead of obstacles. If you believe that God is for you, then you believe there is no power in all of heaven or earth that can stand against you. And you'll probably see God's power demonstrated in your life, and you'll probably recognize God's presence with you on a regular basis. So we need to really get this idea down. So we're going to uh, do a little thought audit. We're going to think about what you think about. Now, don't put anything, it's either on your listening guide or it's going to be, if you're using version, it's on there. version wouldn't let me get the first one on the same line, so if you see that, you'll, you'll know that it's version's fault. It can't possibly be my fault that it wouldn't stay on one line. Anyway, let me describe this. Before you answer this, let me describe this, and then you're going to circle a letter. And this is what you thought about over the last seven days. Alright, if you spend a significant amount of time worrying about your kids, or about your job, or you're like a job or school, or boyfriend or girlfriend, if you're worried about money, or your health, or if your cat ran away and you're worried that it might not come back, or you're worried that it might come back, (laughs) then you need to be honest and you need to circle something close to the worried side. And if we're real honest, some of you didn't even get on the worried scale, you just need to circle the the word worried, because you're not even on the scale yet. Now, if if over the last seven days you refused to be dominated by the things of the world... If you were constantly uh, running back to the promises of God and believing them in spite of the circumstances, if you believe that God is in charge and ultimately He wins, and you have supernatural peace that passes understanding, then circle a number on the other side. But where where are most of us? On the worried side or on the other side? Um, All right, let's go to the next one. Negative. 
Some of us have the spiritual gift of negativity. We've talked about this. We naturally see the negative before the positive. This was Chuck Washburn's gift, my dad. He was the nicest person you could ever meet after the first five minutes of a crisis. You, you, you call dad. Dad, my car's making a weird sound. Oh my gosh, the engine's falling out. You didn't put oil in it. You didn't check the tires. I mean, just anything that could be wrong. I'm like, no, I didn't, but... I don't think it's falling apart. Get it over here fast. Quit driving that thing. Uh, That actually happened one time. Uh, That whole conversation more than once. I actually, one time I did blow the engine, but that's another story. We'll tell that another time. Uh, Call dad and, and you say, dad, there's water around the toilet. Oh my gosh, I bet all of the sewer and all of Borger and Anders, uh, Hutchinson County is backed up and there's swamp gas and it's going to blow our house up. And I'm like, I don't think that's possible, dad. There's two drops of water. It's the worst possible thing in history. (laughs) Call dad. Hey, dad, there's a police car outside. You're going to jail. I mean, he just was convinced that I'd done something wrong, whether I was guilty or not. You're, You're going to jail. I'll see you on the other side, son, you know. After the first five minutes, though, my dad was the most phenomenal person you've ever seen at picking up the pieces, whatever was broken. And he could fix it. At their funeral, I sat around with my mom's brothers. And my my mom's brothers, mom was the oldest of eight kids. They told me story after story of my dad back during the Great Depression fixing stuff. Coming to their house. Now, part of it was because he thought my mama was cute. and, And that was the only way he could get around. But he fixed stuff at their house. And they would have him, they would call him up. Even after mom and dad were married, they would call him up. He would come to their house and he would fix stuff. He was amazing after the first five minutes of the crisis. But negative people see the bad stuff first. And this is one of the things that I fight because I'm Chuck Washburn. I try to get away from it. And if I'm in the flesh, then I'm negative. But if I'm in the spirit, then I'm positive. On the other side, choose to see the best in people. You believe in quote Romans 8, 28 and 29. Romans 8, 28 says, for we know that all things work together for good for those who are called to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. What is the good? It's in verse 29. We know that, that God, those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus Christ, might be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. The good God wants to do in your life, whether you have good or bad, is he wants to make you look like Christ. And honestly... The way he does that most of the time is through bad situations. Because when things are going good, we pat ourselves on the back. Look at me. And the Bible says pride goes before the fall. So if you're a negative person, put it on that side. If you're a positive person, put it on the other side. Now, worldly, your thoughts are consumed by the things of this world. What are the things of this world? What you drive, what you wear, what you put in your hair, where you live, how much money you make. How much, how big your bank account is. Those are, and, and really here you can think about this. Temporary versus eternal. If you did a little audit of your life, a time audit, and you tried to figure out how much time you spend in things that are temporary versus how much time you spend in, on eternal things, you'll see that most of our lives are spent on things that just don't matter. If on the other side you wake up thinking about the kingdom of God, you think about... Um, treasures in heaven. You think about people who are far from God and you try to figure out how you connect with God. If you're constantly thinking about how can I use my stuff to reach more people for God, then you're on the eternal side. So circle a number. Either you're on the worldly side or the eternal side. Now, quick quick uh, little survey here. How many people got tens on every one of them? Let me see your hands. Now, that's shocking. No, it's not. I knew nobody was going to get tens. You want to know why? Because everything in our culture, our family, our friends, our enemies, everything pushes us to the wrong side of the scale. 
Everything about Jesus Christ is counter-cultural. And so if you didn't score tens on all of them, guess what? This message is for you, not your neighbor, not your family member. This message is for you. So that's a good thing, right? Well, let's talk about this. Romans 12, 2. I think that because everything pushes us to the wrong side is why Paul wrote Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Now, does that seem like a suggestion to you? Is Paul saying if you feel like it, you know, if it's a good day, if you have enough time before you leave the house, don't copy the customs and behavior of this world. Is that a suggestion? No, there's not a hint of suggestion there. It is a command. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you. I told you last week, that's my word for new life, transformed. I want everything we do, whether it's Sunday morning, whether it's the kids group, whether it's small groups, men's group, women's group, I want everything we do to transform lives. Why? Look, here he says why. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. All right, we're going to do a little experiment here because I'm going to show you how... You can let God change your thinking. And, and what you have to do is, is a word called substitution. Alright, everybody that I gave a piece of paper, please stand up. And this is a number nine, so if they've got it wrong, smack them. Alright, so hold yours up and show it around. Turn around, Steve, and show back there, okay. Alright, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of the number nine. Now, uh, Ernie, would you put the first one up there? I've got, I gathered a collection of nines for you. That's a pretty nine, isn't it? They get better. Check this one out. Ooh, rainbow nine. How about the next one? Flower nine. How about the next one? A king nine. And then here's my favorite. Salute patriotic nine, right? Okay, what are you thinking of? When I tell you to think of the number nine, what are you thinking of? If you have a piece of paper, I want you to write down the number nine. Write it down. It's fun to write. Just has a circle at the top and a line. It's fun to write nines, isn't it? What are you thinking of? What are you thinking of? All right. Now, don't think of the number nine. All of you, push that in their faces. You can't close your eyes. You have to look. If they show it to you, you have to look. Do not think of the number nine. Do not think of the king nine up here, or the patriotic nine, or the flowered nine. Do not think of that little number that goes like this, or the number that you wrote down. What are you thinking of? Most of you are thinking of nine. Okay, y'all can be seated. You're thinking number six because he's upside down. Now, two or three of you said, I think I heard Amy say seven. Here's the principle. You take something else and you put it in your mind, and that's called substitution. So here, let me give you a quick example of that. Take the number 2,000. Divide it by two. This is real simple. Half of 2,000 is what? Multiply that times five. What is that? Divide that by two. What is that? 2,500. Okay, regardless of whether you got the answer right, that's not even the point. During that process, did you think of the number nine? No, why? Because you substituted in there. So if you're going to substitute, there's a couple of steps you're going to have to do, and we're going to talk about those. Substitution. Now, let's look at the second part of the verse. Why do we want this to happen? First of all, God will, will um, you'll discover God's will if you let him change your thinking. Look at Romans 12, 2. Then you will learn to know what God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. I've never met a person in my life, and I've, I talked to a lot of people, who did not want to know what God thought. I've even talked to atheists, and I've talked to agnostics. Atheists say there is no God. Agnostics are like, eh, I'm not sure. 
And so I've gone, I've taught at a lot of different places when I was a youth minister. I'd gone to all kinds of different churches, big churches, small churches, all that, and taught in their, in their youth groups. And I find some kids that'll say, well, I don't believe there's a God. And I say, okay, that's fair. I believe there is one. And I say, but if there is a God, do you want to know what he says? And they're like, well, there's not one. I say, okay, well, let me ask you something. If, if you say there's no God, that means you have to have absolute knowledge of everything ever in existence, right? I said, is it possible that on Pluto, which isn't even a planet anymore, that's messed up. If it's, you gotta watch Psych and you'll understand. But if, if, if there's a rock on Pluto, I said, what's under that rock? Well, I don't know. Ooh, is it possible that God is there? It's highly unlikely. I didn't ask you if it was likely. Is it possible? I guess it has to be possible. If there is a God, if he's the same God that's revealed in the Bible, if he has all power, if he can speak the world into existence, wouldn't you want to know what he made you for? And they go, well, I guess. Even atheists and agnostics want to know God's will. I've never met anybody who didn't want to know God's will. So if we're going to discover God's will, we have to begin putting things in our mind that are spiritual and and point us towards God. Because you will move. Your life will move towards your dominant thought. And so that's why we want you to come to church every week. That's why, you know, we want this to be a habit. We want you to read your Bible every day. We want you to pray before you leave the house. We want you to go to small groups. We want you to listen to Christian music because you will become what you think about. Now, if you're going to substitute on a regular basis, two steps you've got to take. First step is you've got to capture destructive thoughts. Destructive thoughts are anything that's, that's not based on God's word. It's false. It's, it's, it's bad thoughts, worried thoughts, negative thoughts, wrong thoughts. We have to capture them. Uh, look what it says uh, in this, in, what passage is that? I don't even have it there. Second Corinthians 10, 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage world wage war as the world does. Now this is pretty cool. God's weapons are not like the earth's weapons. So I was thinking about this this week, and I was thinking about the end of time. If you've read in the book of Revelation, who wins? God, and we're on his side, so we get the win with him. But have you seen what the uh, what the battle is like? How many of you have heard of the battle of Armageddon? There's going to be a final battle. If this word is true, there's going to be a final final battle. And you can read about it yourself in Revelation 16 through 19. And what's going to happen is at the last time, at the last battle, every piece of equipment, it is going to be massive. All the military might in the world is going to gather at Armageddon to try to defeat God. And so if you read three chapters, man, it is going to be an impressive display of power. And then you know what's going to happen? The Bible says in in Revelation 19 that Jesus shows up on a white horse. And that his eyes are burning like fire. If I'm over there and I see a white horse dude in the sky and he's got fire in his eyes, I'm like, I'm I'm moving over here, you know. But that's not even the, the big deal. It says that when he opens his mouth, a sword comes out and he completely obliterates all who are against him oh wow so military might or god i think i want the real power right don't you want to be on the winning side sure you do when we fight with the world's weapons we lose so let's stop losing look what it says The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, when you, when you hear that word demolish, is that a nice word or is that a, is that kind of a, (laughs) 
Have y'all seen any of those? My wife loves HGTV, and so we watch it all the time. And I like my wife, so I watch it. I act like I don't like it, but but it gets me close to her. <laughs> but what do they do on a lot of those shows? They destroy stuff, and then they rebuild it, right? So that's the idea. It's, it's going to be demolished. And this idea of divine power, it actually comes from the word dunamis, which we get our word dynamite from. Now, dynamite, I like to watch things go boom. Do y'all watch Mythbusters? I love it when stuff blows up. One of my favorite it was the was the water heater. When they took the little um, safety valve off and the water heater blows up, it actually goes about 200 feet up in the air. Then they built a house around it and it blew up. And it was awesome. I love it when they blow stuff up. But our dynamite that we have... It's, it's really just a, a poor example of God's power. Because God's power wipes everything out. Supernatural power. All others is a weak imitation of God's power. This idea of stronghold. So uh, we demolish strongholds. The stronghold is an idea. It's, it's a word that means um, dungeon. If you think about an old castle with a dungeon at the bottom, that's the idea of a stronghold. And it comes in our mind. But here's the weird thing. We're in a stronghold when we believe lies. We're in a stronghold of our own making. We put ourselves in a dungeon and we stay there when we believe the lies of the enemy. Our enemy's greatest weapon. Jesus called him, what did he say? That Satan is the father of lies. And so if you choose to believe him, you put yourself in a dungeon. If you choose to believe God, the Bible says it, it will set us free. Jesus says this in John eight thirty one and 32. If you hold to my teaching, which is what? That's his word, the Bible. You are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will do what? Set you free. So do you want to be bound by lies in a dungeon or do you want to be set free? Verse five, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And then everybody say this last phrase with me. What do we do? Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How do you do that? How do you take your thoughts captive? Every thought that comes into your mind, you have to compare it to Scripture. If it if it uh, lines up with Scripture, you keep it. If it doesn't, you throw it out. Now, there's an app, and, and if I'd have had time, I don't have time to do this, but there's an app called Truth or Trash. Uh, you can go, um, it, it, it won't show up on an iPad, but it will show up for an iPhone or an Android. It is a very cool thing, and it's something you can use to teach your kids. And so it'll have something that'll come up, and you'll, you'll say truth or trash, and you have to answer it. And if you answer it correctly, it gives you a point, and then it gives you a verse. So it's a really cool thing, but everything that comes into our mind, we have to compare it to God's Word. If, it's, if it lines up with God's Word, we keep it. If we don't, we throw it in the trash. Now, how do I change my thoughts? First, we've got to capture destructive thoughts. The second step is I have to fix my thoughts on spiritual things. It means to focus on the eternal. I'm going to read you a passage of scripture from Philippians. And here's the thing about Philippians. Paul wrote it when he was in prison. Kind of, I, I want you to remember that because everything that Paul has gone through in his life validates the words that he writes down in Philippians. Here's chapter 4 verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what could happen that would be horrible. Fix your thoughts on what could go wrong. Fix your thoughts on what's negative. That's what it says? Isn't that what we do? When you worry, you're fixing your thoughts on all of that stuff. No, he says, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I've shared this with a lot of couples in premarital counseling. If you can learn to use this verse as a filter for your thinking, your marriage will move up several steps. For example, 
Um, I've been married to Janie almost 23 years, and and everybody knows Janie's one of the nicest people on the planet, right? And and even still, she can hurt my feelings, which I hate to admit because I'm a dude and we don't like feelings anyway, and we feel like a little boy when we when we say so. So Janie can hurt my feelings. So this is actually where we are in in our relationship right now. Janie can say something and it may hurt my feelings, and I'll go off and you know, and I'll I'll kind of sulk a little bit, and and then God will say. What are you doing? Well, did you hear what she said? I mean, I have this conversation. Did you hear what she said? Yeah. It's not what she meant. How do you know what she meant? I know who I'm talking to. And I go, is it true that Janie meant to hurt my feelings? No. Is it honorable what I want to do back to her? No. Is it right that I want to get even? No. Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? If I will start running my thoughts through this filter, by the time Janie walks in, this, this happened several months ago. She walked in the bathroom and she goes, are you okay? And I said, well, when you said this, you hurt my feelings. She goes, that's not what I meant. I said, I know. But it still hurt my feelings and I took it the wrong way. But I know you didn't mean that. And I just need you to know that I think you're better than what I thought earlier. And, and I'm sorry because I'm an idiot. And she's like, it's okay, honey. I know that. No, she doesn't say that. <laughs> she, she wouldn't do that. She might think it, but she wouldn't do it. Um, <laughs> so if we can learn to use this as a filter, God's going to take us to a different level. It's what we think about. Now look, look what he says in verse 9. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Here it is. Here it is. If you're not having peace in your life, this is the promise. Then the God of peace will be with you. Oh, wait, 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 wait. We got to go back. I have to fix my mind on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise. Then the God of peace will be with me. If you don't have peace right now, it's because you're fixing your mind on the things of the world. You're worried about the things of the world. So there's a lot of people, I'm willing to bet, most of you are not peace-filled right now. It's because your mind is not dominated with the things of God. Because everything in our culture is pushing us away from God and making us have turmoil in our lives. I stood before my church in 1981 when I came back from youth camp, walked down First Baptist Church, Borger, <laughs> did some gasps. They're like, he's finally getting saved. Um... No, it wasn't that, it was almost that bad. It probably was. But I came down and I stood before my church and I said, this is weird to me, but I think that God's calling me to be a minister. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I preach mom and dad's funeral, it's funny because some of those people came up to me that had been at youth camps with me and they're like, we can't believe what God's done to you. You're normal. Um, ever since I stood up in front of my church and I made that statement, I have fought the thought that you're not good enough. You're not good enough to be a minister and represent Christ. When I went to college, um, a pastor called me and asked me if I'd come out and, and be the music minister. And this was like a, a church of 12 people. You know, and, and you stand up and there was one lady who played the piano and, and we had an organ, but nobody could play it. And I was grateful to God that nobody could play it because I didn't want organ music anyway. Um, sorry, not a few, uh, no offense. So, I go out there and I hear this thought and, and actually somebody in the church told me, you're not good enough to lead our music. The pastor who, who actually knew Janie, that, that, that didn't mean anything at this point later. It's kind of funny because we ran into him and, and he saw that we were married. Um, but the pastor said, hey, you want to be our youth minister? And, and I was like, I was 19. And I said, I'll try. 
And there were people that said, you're not good enough to be a youth minister. And, and after a while, you start believing that stuff. And I actually got out of ministry for about a year and I went to my brother's church and God healed me up and some stuff happened and I was called to, to be a full-time youth minister. You're not good enough to be a full-time youth minister. Um, when I became a pastor, I had people tell me, you're not good enough to be a pastor. And, and so I've battled this for 30 years. And, and you, know what, you know what I discovered? I'm not good enough. That's not even the point. Because I've been adopted by the one who is. I'm not righteous. I'm not declared righteous because of anything I do or don't do. I'm declared righteous because I'm a child of God. And he declares me righteous based on what Jesus Christ has done. So I embrace the fact I am not good enough. I'm okay with that. Because my dad is good enough. Some of you have been fighting this idea that you're not good enough. You're not a good enough spouse. You're not a good enough mom or dad or whatever it is. Just embrace that. And say, I don't have to be good enough. Because my dad's perfect. And he's adopted me and he loves me. You see, this is a big deal because you are going to become what you think about the most. And do you understand what freedom comes from this thing? Knowing I don't have to be good enough? There is freedom in that and I want you to experience it. And some of you are one thought away from being transformed in your life. And, and I kind of, I want you to realize you're going to find what you're looking for. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. Um, put that first picture up there, would you, Ernie? Y'all know what those are? Buzzards. They're nasty looking, aren't they? You know what they do all day? Every day of their life. They look for dead, stinking, nasty stuff. And when they see it, you know what they do? They eat it. Every day they're looking for nasty, dead stuff and they find it. And they lick it. <laughs> and then they tell their friends because they always have 10 or 12 of them there. They're massive. They like dead stuff and they find it every day. Now compare that to this. What's this next picture? It's a hummingbird. What does a hummingbird look for? Nectar, sweet things. What does a hummingbird find every day? Flowers, sweet things. In your life, every day, there are dead things and there are sweet things. And how your day goes will depend on which one you're looking for. Too often we have this garbage in our minds. And garbage tends to make us want to hang out or look for garbage. And our, our minds are not fixed on God. True, honorable, right, pure, lovely. Anything of excellence. Anything of good repute. Let your mind dwell on these things. So my challenge to you is you're going to find what you're looking for. Let's start looking for the good things. The things that give life. And not the things that suck life from us. So you're going to find what you're looking for. I, I, I was thinking about it this way. I bought, uh, last March, I bought a 2004... Ford F-250 with 300,000 miles on it because it's what I could afford. And you know what I started seeing right after I bought that? 
Ford F-250s painted just like mine. I'd never seen them before. They're everywhere. I thought I had this cool truck. Everyone has a Ford. Right? I never noticed it before. Why? Because I wasn't looking for it. When, when we bought Caleb's F-150. F-150's everywhere. Bought Rachel a, a, a Ranger. There's a Ford theme going on in my family. It's just because it's cheap. It's not because, you know, we're necessarily looking for Fords. She has a Ranger. We see Rangers everywhere. It's because of what you're looking for. And I kid you not. Few, I, I, this was a few months ago. Rachel came in and, and she said, Dad, I really like Chevron. As God is my witness. I thought, why is she interested in a gas station? Because Chevron is a gas station. And then I found out Chevron means what we used to call zigzag. And you know what I see all the time? I just told Ann this morning. She's wearing Chevron. I didn't know that six months ago. But now I see Chevron everywhere. It's zigzag. You're going to find what you're looking for. So I'm trying to help you understand that what you put in your mind, what you dwell on, is going to result in what you say. It's going to result in what you do, and that will determine the impact of your life. So today, you know, last week I talked to you about, I wanted you to come up with a word, and then a verse. Well, today I want you to come up with a thought. I want you to talk to God about a thought. I want you to start listening to Christian music or to sermons. And by the way, a lot of you have asked for the Soul Detox series. We, I made 12 copies of the whole series because I didn't know we were out of them. You need to start putting things in your mind. Christian music. You need to put God's word in your mind. You need to pray for your day. God, help me to see spiritual things today. God, guard my heart and my mind. God, put on the helmet of salvation because that's what he calls it. The helmet of salvation. You want to know why? Because it guards your mind. Because your mind is where everything starts. And if Satan can get in your head, he can get you going where he wants you to go. You say, my hands are yours, Lord. My eyes are yours, Lord. My, my mouth is yours. God, use me to, to bring something about in your kingdom. And you know what happens when you do that? You can have the mind of Christ. And people say, oh, we can't have the mind of Christ. Scripture, look what it says in 1 Corinthians 2.16. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who can know enough to teach him? But we, meaning Christ followers, understand these things, spiritual things. For we have what? The mind of Christ. You don't have the mind of... See, I think a lot of us make decisions without ever even thinking about looking in God's Word. We make decisions without consulting people that we respect their opinion and their walk with Christ. I tell you this all the time. Don't go ask an idiot what they would do. Well, I talked to so-and-so. Well, so-and-so's an idiot. Why would you listen to them? Teenagers, no offense. You need to be talking to somebody who's not a teenager if you want to make wise decisions in their life. Love you, Stacy. I'm kidding. I do love you. I'm not kidding. You need to find people that you respect their walk with Christ and say, will you pray with me about this? And then you need to wait until you hear an answer from God. Because what do we do? I, I, know, I, I had somebody tell me this. Christ followers tell me this. In a small group, we were sitting around, we were talking about praying. And they said, oh, we always, we always pray before we make major decisions. And I was like, well, that's cool. I said, give us an example. As God is my witness. She said, the other day, we were in the furniture store. And we just stopped right there and held hands. And we said, God, if you want us to have this, this then would you show us? And they looked at each other and he said, he said, yes. <laughs> I don't 
don't think that was God. It was the bed. Buy me. I mean, you know, everything is, is designed to do that. So if you're standing right next to the temptation, that, that just doesn't even make sense to me. We've got to be wiser than that. So I just want you to, I, I want you to think about a word from God. I want you to think about a verse that's going to guide you, but a thought too. My thought, and this, this, I've been praying about this, my thought that is going to carry me through this year is be anxious for nothing. I shared this with you a few weeks ago. Didn't know at the time that this is my phrase. This is my thought. Because I shared, I woke up in the middle of the night and I started worrying about stuff and I couldn't sleep and I started quoting um, Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And that was too much to pray while I was laying on my bed at three o'clock at night. So I started going, be anxious for nothing because that was short. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. I did it about a hundred times. Next thing I know, three hours later, I wake up and I went, it works. Fixing my mind on... So here's what happened. Um, George Stanley's been our general contractor on our new building back here. We're almost done. Woohoo! We're going to get the uh, the insulation put in, the carpet down, and then the rock is going to be around. So all that's coming to a close. And we were talking about this. And, and one of the things we want to do is have a covered walkway over here to our main um, entrance. And we're going to take part of the funds from that. Well, all of the funds are gone there. And, and George said, what are we going to do? And I said, here, I'm not being preachy at all. This is exactly what came to my mind when I'm talking to George on the phone. I said, my word's expectation. I'm going to expect God to finish what God started. I believe God wanted us to have that room because our fourth through sixth graders have been meeting in the hall for a year and a half. Do you think God wants our fourth through sixth graders to meet in the hall? No. Our teenagers are going to use that room on Wednesday nights because we had to get them out of here. We did, but we didn't. But they need a place to, to call their own. So I'm fully expecting. I'm not going to be anxious about it. I believe the money's going to come in. I believe God's already blessed that. It's going to come in. And we're going to have enough money to pay all of the cash for that. We've already paid 25000 for that. I believe the rest of the money's going to come in. I believe the money's going to come in for out here. I even believe, praise God, bless the Lord, that we're eventually going to pave our parking lot. <laughs> I didn't talk to anybody about that one. I'm just... But I do. I, I think that's the next thing God's going to do for us. I didn't get permission from the board or anybody to mention that to you. I just believe that God's going to do some stuff. Because do you think God's finished with us? No. He's not. So, my word is expectation. My verse is Psalm 5.3. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait in expectation. And then my thought is, I'm not going to be anxious. Some of you are discouraged. Your word needs to be courage. <laughs> and and you need your thought might be, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you, your word might be selfless. And you need to say, your thought could be less of me, more of him. Some of you, your, your, uh, your, your thought would be, not by might, nor by power, but by his spirit says the Lord of God. Some of you, your thought might be, I will overcome, whatever it is, I'm an overcomer. And I will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of my testimony. I don't know what your thought is, but I know this, as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. And you, your life will move towards your dominant thought, your strongest thought. So we better be fixing our minds on Christ. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? If you were real honest right now, how many of you would say, raise your hands, how many of you would say, I've really been fixing my mind on the things of the world and not God? 
That's a lot of people. Okay, thank you. Those of you who raised your hands, if you want what you've always gotten, keep doing what you've always been doing. But if you're ready for something different, then ask God to show you a word, show you a verse, and show you a thought that will carry you through 2014. Some of you here are not Christ followers. There's never been a time that you've, you've prayed and asked Christ to save you. And maybe today's your day. The Bible says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. For if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And some of you need to say right now, God, I'm a sinner, and I need to be saved. You just pray that right where you are. And you say to God, help me to know more about you. That's a prayer I think he wants to answer. Father, we just dedicate our lives to you and we pray that you would dominate our thinking this next week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you take your registration cards and fill those out? Uh, be sure and read all your announcements. There's several things that are going on. Um, put prayer requests on the back. Uh, if you've had answered prayer, I'd like to see that on the back of your cards. I'd love to read through those and do through that, that all through the week. This week, I'm uh, actually traveling to my parents' home in Borger. And uh, my brothers and I are going to do some estate stuff. You can still get a hold of me on the phone if you need to. If, if we need, you know, if there's emergencies, Jeff will be around, Joe will be around. And uh, you can call me and I can, I can put them in touch with you if you need them during the week. We have three baskets at the back. One is our joy basket. It's how we take up our offering. Or you can go to nlccp.com and down in the right-hand corner, it's there, you just follow the instructions. You can give that way. Second is our registration card basket. That's where we like all your prayer concerns and we like to know about you. If you need to talk to me, um, then you put that on there and I will contact you. Then third is our bagel basket. Building a great life. Everything that goes in there goes to pay. I've been amazed at what God has done so far, uh, bringing in money for that. And I don't think God is, is done with us. So we're looking forward to what God has in the future. We're waiting in expectation for God to bless us. Let's stand together. Father, as we go out into the world, remind us that you're always in charge. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.